0: When Suicide is Murder is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses topics that may be sensitive and triggering, as well as some graphically detailed situations. Listener discretion is advised. I was sitting around wondering why the police did not do their job when it came to my aunt Lynn. I realized something really disturbing, and I had to create a bonus episode. Well, maybe 1989 was just a crazy year. I was right. It was a crazy year into the ongoing investigation of the corruption of the police department and reform, reform for the way that women were treated and the way they were regarded. The first thing I did was start going through old newspapers and pulling up any clips of what was going on in that year. January 2nd. Two overpopulated jails force inmates to sleep on floors. January 22nd. The growing popularity of assault weapons outgun police. January 28th. Four police officers who swore to tell the truth plead the fifth in order to refrain from self-incrimination in a trial. February 1st. Crime rate up for the fourth year in a row. February 23rd. Stolen property recovered by the El Cajon Police Department disappeared from a storage area at Police Department Headquarters. February 23rd. Bank robbery bandits hit 13th Bank. February 28th. Biker gang Hells Angels and Mongols feud in El Cajon and surrounding cities. Increased violence, shootings, and bombs are suspected to be related to biker activity. March 10th. Police upset that new law makes it a capital offense for police and other government officials to commit murder. That one's just weird. March 17th. Sheriff gets case dropped for severe beating of man in custody at El Cajon County Jail. March 20th. Police shot 80-year-old store owner after a three-hour suicide threat standoff. April 9th, drug trafficking abuse, prostitutes and homeless overrun city. Police overwhelmed. April 22nd, sheriff deputy refuses to pay back 30,000 in supporter funds improperly used to pay off a court judgment against him. April 27th, narcotics officer held for alleged accidental shooting May 11th, Cajon Municipal Judge testifies as a witness to attorney pandering. May 4th, 48 Hours does story on Crystal Capital of the World. That means meth. May 25th, police under investigation for use of force. May 11th, two officers that are already tangled in false arrest suits also have criminal record with warrants. Background checks were not completed until they were named in these suits. May 27th. Armed troops sent to border for anti-drug operations. June 5th. Policewoman files lawsuit against department after being forced to resign in her fourth month of probationary period after sexual advances were refused. June 7th. Former officer is convicted of first-degree murder in a torturing and slaying of an alcohol store clerk. June 10th. A man in El Cajon hired by FBI and CIA to assist in arms deals with China is involved in a shootout that left two dead in Julian. June 13th Nunchucks are approved and used to subdue and arrest 82 anti-abortionists at protest outside a clinic. July 12th Police reform sexual harassment policies due to increased allegations. July 12th 42nd victim of serial slayings, a 22-year-old prostitute from El Cajon. July 21st, police officer also is the subject of a lawsuit accusing him of excessive force is put on leave for an officer-involved shooting. July 26th, a study shows that El Cajon Police Force is the lowest paid among 10 departments of varying sizes in the county. August 5th. El Cajon's fourth body of woman serial slayings found in trash bin tied up in bloody blankets. August 11, another slayer on the run. Mother, son and friend in East County bludgeoned to death, the strongest lead is a transient. August 15, a 62-year-old postal woman commits suicide after being forced to resign due to sexual harassment she reported and that was later disregarded by the police. August fifteenth. seven prisoners escaped from the alcohol jail by punching a hole in the wall and dropping to the ground using a 250 foot rope fashioned from bed sheets. They only re-arrested two. August 17, the DA is brought up on multiple drunk driving charges. April twentieth. new policy is put into place that officers convicted of drug use must disclose upon hire. September 2nd, fire department captain admits cocaine habit. September 8th, two more flee from jail. September 14th, local East County Sheriff let off in case where Van hit and killed 13-year-old girl while transporting a prisoner. September 20th, the year total for police involved fatal shootings in El Cajon alone is 16, including the death of a licensed vocational nurse and the DA refuses to prosecute officers. October 1st. Police search for a fugitive doctor in sex abuse case of over a hundred patients at elderly nursing and board care facilities all over East County. October 7th. There is a reorder in the trial in the case of the sheriff hitting the 13-year-old girl. October 11th. Another bank robbery. November 1st. Local Drug Treatment Center approved on Washington Avenue. November 1st. Woman escapes from a man by tumbling down a hillside out of his car. She suspects he was going to murder her. The same man is a suspect in another murder. December 6th. Social services overloaded by a number of young drug victims skyrocketing. December 12th. Sheriff's deputy steps down from another term because of too many simultaneous battles on too many fronts. This is actually the same dude that didn't pay back the misappropriated funds, which I earlier mentioned. December 25th. Police seek transient suspected and brutal beating of couple in a hotel room. Okay, so let's get on the same page for a minute and just note that there was a whole lot going on in El Cajon in San Diego in 1989. But one of the things that piqued my interest the most was the serial slings. They were on number 43. I found out that it actually ended at 45. We're gonna say 45-ish because one of those 45 shouldn't have really been lumped in and it's actually her case that even made all these dead prostitutes worth looking at and it just goes to show that there was so much corruption going on and they just they picked and chose what they wanted to do and what they didn't want to do and what would benefit them and what they had to hide and women were the bottom of the barrel in El Cajon. Donna Gentili is the most known case out of the 45 women, and that's because she was working as a prostitute on El Cajon Boulevard at the time, but she had also been an informant for the San Diego Police Department. She was actually on payroll as an informant targeting corrupt police officers in the Internal Affairs Department. As of now, this case is actually still active, and the police department refuses to comment on the investigation. But here's what we know. It's speculated that her killer was a police officer. This was at a time when cokehead cops started dealing meth and the police corruption was at its highest in San Diego and surrounding counties like El Cajon. She was found by a man walking his dog. She was brutally battered and dumped in a remote area in rural East County off Sunrise Highway in a dirt turnout. When they found her, she was naked with her cut up underwear and dress thrown on top of her body. She had small rocks and gravel stuffed in her mouth and down her throat. Her neck was broken. She had been strangled and sexually assaulted. There was DNA found on her body in three places, semen and saliva, but police disregarded this because of her work as a prostitute. All the tracks surrounding her body were actually covered up by brushing which is something that cowboys used to do back in the day. They would take weeds and whatever was around and actually scrape the ground so that way it took away any horse tracks. In this case, the person was getting rid of footprints and tire tracks. Just a few weeks before she was murdered, she testified openly for the San Diego police and spoke about inappropriate relationships with an officer named Larry Averick and Lieutenant Carl Black. Averick actually claims that he was doing his own personal investigation into the police corruption and into Lieutenant Carl Black at the time. He testified that he was not having sexual relations with Donna Gentelli, but that he was only spending time with her because she was having an inappropriate relationship with Carl Black. They were both fired after the hearing, however, Black was later reinstated as the lieutenant Averick became a person of interest, but he was not reinstated, and there were no charges ever filed because of the lack of evidence. He even went as far as to write a book claiming his innocence. Police never really investigated her case, and they claimed that it was not due to corruption or her involvement with the police department. After Donna Gentelli was found, they actually found a recorded tape that was made shortly before she disappeared where she actually said, I could turn up dead any time. They eventually lumped her case into a slew of ongoing prostitute murders and dumps over the next four years. Most of the 42 murders were transients and prostitutes between the ages of 15 and 45 who were strangled and whose often nude bodies were dumped in deserted areas near the IH. Her crime scene was the only one that was like it, with the tracks covered up and rocks in her mouth. Some assume that the rocks in her mouth were a sign that she talked when she shouldn't have. On October 5th, 1987, only two years after Donna's murder, there was a total of 27 unsolved homicides and police finally admitted this may be the work of a serial killer. Some police thought that it was the work of multiple serial killers, and some were on the fence due to the similarities, but basically saying that it was too much for one person to have done. The prostitute murders later became one of the biggest unsolved murder sprees by a serial killer in San Diego. Anna Viralia, 32, was found by two firemen jogging near Sunrise Highway and Old Highway 80. Rose Varelia of Lakeside said that her daughter Anna Lucilia had a friend, Sally Ann Mormon Field. Varelia said that Sally telephoned for her daughter just three weeks after Anna was killed. Varelia told Sally that Anna had died. Now she learned that Sally had been killed too. Sally Ann Mormon Field, 19, was found on Sunrise Highway east of Pine Valley. She had been dead for four to five weeks. Rhonda Hollis, 21, was found by joggers in Benita. She was strangled and had been stabbed six times in the chest. A belt and rope were wrapped around her hands, legs, and neck. Sophie Glover, 37, was found in the 2200 block of Madison Avenue. Her body laid out on a grassy area next to the curb and covered with a green blanket. Deborah Stanford was found laying against a van parked near 30th Street and El Cajon Boulevard. Nicolette Fry, 22, was found in a remote ravine near La Mesa. She had been dead for three or four days when her body was found. Melissa Sandoval, 22, strangled, nude body found near Pala. Jodell Jenkins, 28, her nude body was found in Valley Center. Teresa Brewer, 26, she was dumped off Interstate 8 near La Posta. The cause of death was listed as probable strangulation. There are so many more, it breaks my heart for them. By my quick look into this, I don't see that the real problem was ever solved. And that problem is police corruption. Was Lynn a prostitute? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, did any of this have to do with Lynn? Most definitely because 1989 was obviously one of the most corrupt years in police history in El Cajon. This proves that the police department picked and chose who they cared about and who they thought was trash. I still believe this is going on. I requested Lynn's case files four times, and three of four, I was told that everything was destroyed. When I finally spoke to a couple of retired officers that worked her case, they said that it was impossible and to have them look on microfilm. So on my fourth request, telling them where to look, they finally admitted having the files and said they could no longer talk about the case because they are closed investigatory files. I call bullshit. They're hiding their shoddy work on a suspicious death because they couldn't give Lynn the time of day in that year. Just like all those other women. The police are fighting the release of Lynn's files and the 911 call. If you can do anything for me right now, please visit my website, suicidecrime.com, and sign the petition to get the police to hand over the documents. Please help me get the truth out. Jill Starr. This podcast is compiled of my own case files I obtained through family, public record, interviews, and personal conclusions. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing. Please take a moment to visit my website, suicidecrime.com. There you can find many ways to support my podcast, including a link to my Patreon, where you can get access to bonus content, pictures, documents, and branded merch. There's also a link at the bottom of the page where you can donate to a new burial for Lynn. Thank you as always and stay true to your family.